0: Reinventing the wheel as a teacher every day is not practical. So using different tools to make life easier and preparing our students to use those tools and those strategies out in the world is going to help them.
1: This is the Transform Your Teaching Podcast. The Transform Your Teaching Podcast is a service of the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cedarville University in Cedarville, Ohio. Welcome back to Transform Your Teaching. Here on the campus of Cedarville University, my name is Jared Piles and with me as always is Dr. Robert McDowell. Let's dive right into it. We are continuing our series on generative AI applied, talking to a whole bunch of cool people about how they are putting AI, generative AI into practice. Our guest today is joining us. She's part of the cohort that I'm a part of at Boise for our educational doctorate. Her name is Kim Woodruff. She's the Director of Instructional Design and an adjunct at Manhattan College. Welcome, Kim Woodruff.
0: Hi there. Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. We're so excited to talk to you about generative AI and how Manhattan College has been using it and how your faculty and the students have been responding to the usage of it.
2: Yes. And we would like to start off by just asking what you teach, uh, what's your discipline, And um, what are your interests with AI?
0: Well, um, I'm an instructional designer. So I support online course design and I support um, just generally the use of technology. So I'm kind of in the mix on a lot of classes, but the classes that I teach are all within education. So I teach the technology required technology course for pre-service teachers and that could be um secondary teachers, primary teachers, and even physical education teachers.
1: Wow. How'd you end up at uh, Manhattan College?
0: Well, I'm from New York originally and before I was at Manhattan College, which is in the Bronx, not Manhattan. Um
2: So
1: that's actually something we talked about before. That solved that question. Before we came on, I asked Rob, hey, do you know where Manhattan College is? And he said, Manhattan. And I thought the same thing. So I looked it up and it's actually in the Bronx. And then I said, I don't remember. Is the Bronx
2: in Manhattan?
1: Yeah. So that's that's a follow up before we go any further.
0: Let's get our New York geography. So that, yeah, New York has five boroughs and Manhattan is one of them in the middle and Bronx is another one. They're completely separate, they're kind of like counties. And okay. the reason Manhattan College is called Manhattan College is because it used to be located in Manhattan and it moved and they just didn't change the name. It used to be closer to actually where Columbia is now.
1: Okay.
2: So they, they, they couldn't, they didn't want to say Bronx College. You're right. Because that just sounds like maybe, maybe that's from Colorado. I don't know. Okay. Anyway. anyway. Continue. Sorry.
0: I don't know what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, you were telling us how you ended up at Manhattan College. In the Bronx.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm from New York, and um, I went to school for graphic design, my bachelor's, and then I went back to school to get a teaching degree. And then after I got my teaching degree, I was looking for a teaching position in New York. I did not find one. Uh, it's pretty competitive around here, at least at the time. So I moved down to North Carolina. Which I kind of wanted to do anyway. Mm. And I was teaching there. And then I had a principal who um, basically just saw that I was really interested in technology and ed tech and everything. And, um, you know, I was working on their website and stuff like that. And he just said, hey, you know, there is a program for ed tech, a master's program. And the district pays for you to go back to school to get your master's. So I was like, well, that's a win. So I went back to school. And at that time, I was kind of in a mixed program. So it wasn't just K-12 teachers. It was some K-12, but some people in healthcare, some people in higher ed. And I just kind of realized that I really like the design aspect of education. I like lesson planning. I like coming up with ideas to teach things. And I actually like it better than being in a classroom all day. So Mm. that's kind of where I decided to start looking in that direction. And I was interested in moving back to New York. I was actually applying for K-12 and higher ed jobs. And it just happened that Manhattan College was the job that I got first. So that's how I got there. And I've been there, this is my 13th year actually. So Uh I've been there quite a while. Yeah. And when I got there, I was the first instructional designer that they ever had.
1: Wow. Congratulations. What was, what was that like 13 years ago? Instructional design.
0: That was a whole lot of fun. Um, <laughs> there's nothing better than explaining to people what you do every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, was, it was a good time. Um, I arrived just as we were doing a learning management system switch from Blackboard to Moodle. So everybody's first experience with me was somewhat traumatic.
2: Wow
0: <laughs> not. I was you know introducing this new system that I wasn't even really familiar with. I was getting familiar with it you know on on the fly. So the good aspect of that was that I was exposed and built a relationship with people very quickly because they were all kind of dependent. on learning the system from me. Um, but the hard part was of course that they were a little bit, you know, apprehensive about a new system and then kind of like, well, what are you what is your position? You're not really IT. (laughs) You're not a professor. What are you? Like, why are you telling me what to do? So um but they quickly learned that, you know, I'm I'm there to help them. I'm there to provide a service and I have now, you know, a great relationship with the faculty there and they're, you know, some of my favorite people.
1: So speaking of change, we're talking about generative AI. Let's go right into that. So this has probably been a a pretty big shift now with Manhattan College. You talk about faculty managing a change like this. How have you uh, approached generative AI at Manhattan College and specifically with the faculty? How has that that gone?
0: We've done a few different things you know we've had a lot a lot of it is just having conversations talking about kind of where people are at and what people are experiencing so I've been working with our teaching and learning center and we've done several kind of sessions where you know people come together you get a few different people from a few different disciplines and then me as well um and you know our other instructional designer just sharing how things are going and and what's working and what's not working. So that's um, been one of the main things. And then also just providing kind of tips and tricks and always really basing those in, you know, pedagogical principles that we already know. So always bringing those back into the mix, not trying to push for innovation too rapidly just mm-hmm. yet, um, but really just kind of, saying, you know, this is a new technology, and just being observant of what's happening. Um, And one thing I've really been encouraging people to do is to be experimental, to explore the technology, to give it a try, and especially trying to do things like authentic tasks that they would try to do in their normal lives. Because I think that's really where you learn, you know, what it's good at, what it's not good at. Um, But I, you know, I'll admit there has been a bit of a a panic at times. Um, Mm -hmm. And some people have responded in, you know, like, I'm going to do all blue book exams, or things like that. (laughs) So there are, (laughs) there are people that have done that. Um, But I think people are learning because I, you know, one, one person who took that strategy after a while, they said, you know, this, this isn't working. I feel like I have gone back in time. Mm. So they recognize that, okay, you know, treating my students like we have to go into a time warp and act like it's, you know, 20 years ago is is not a good way to go about things. So mm. um trying to rethink, trying to rethink how to do that. Um, but our approach is really just to you know, reach people where they're at. Not everybody's comfortable jumping right into AI. We do have um, the Turnitin detection on, and some people are relying on that for now, Um, but we've definitely been telling them, hey, this is not going to catch every incident. It's not always going to be accurate. And over the long term, it's not going to be a lasting strategy. So I think it's just kind of a... um, security blanket at the moment. It sounds
2: like a lot of what you're doing is on the academic integrity side. At least that seems to be the concern of your faculty. Is that correct?
0: Not everyone. I think we definitely have our innovators. Um, I'd say two areas where they're feeling a little bit more adventurous are our communications department. So our communications you know, they're really very much connected to the wider employment world. And they're looking at how communications is happening out in the world with like broadcasting, um, you know, writing and things like that. And they're seeing that AI is being used. So they know that they would be doing the students a disservice to mm-hmm. say, you know, you cannot use AI. So they're embracing it, I think, more than some other departments. Um, Education as well, I think is embracing it. I think within education, there's always been that tendency um, to share information, you know, there's lesson plans online, and teachers do like to share information and kind of recognize, you know, there's, there's enough work to be done, there's always more to be done. So um, reinventing the wheel as a teacher every day is not practical. So using different tools to make life easier and preparing our students to use those tools and those strategies out in the world is going to help them. So those, those are areas where, um, you know, I think they are embracing it. And then, you know, you always have your, your adventurous types that are more, you know, no matter what the discipline, they're just interested in trying new things. So we have those people as well. Um, You know, one of our One of our professors is um, leading a game design program. Mm. So he's been, you know, experimenting with AI in that fashion. Um, We were actually talking about using um, AI as a way, like interacting with ChatGPT and having um, a game interaction with that. Like you can tell ChatGPT you want to play a Dungeons and Dragons style game. So he's doing an activity like that with his students where they're coming up with a prompt in order to develop this interaction to have kind of the basis for a game in Mm -hmm. the introduction to gaming class. Oh,
2: I like that.
1: That actually is kind of cool.
0: Yeah.
2: Think about a role-playing game or something that teaches particular content.
1: Yeah, that'd be cool too. Yeah, I'm gonna write that down. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'll send you the prompt because yeah, it's
1: that's, it's that's pretty really cool. cool. Have you heard any um, student usage, or are you guys monitoring that? I know you said turn it in, um, but is there any other initiatives or whatever you guys have done on campus to kind of be in front of ChatGPT and generative AI usage?
0: I mean, I think that we are you know, we have it, we made some slight wording changes to our academic integrity policy, but we kept it pretty loose. Um, It's just a very minor wording change, Um, but it's really really more on the faculty to kind of be integrating the, the policy and talking to students about, you know, what's expected and what's not allowed in a particular class. We don't really have too much of a blanket policy. Um, because we don't want anybody to feel restrained Mm. in being able to use AI and encourage students to use the AI in one instance. And then in another instance, say, you know, students in this particular, um, class or in this specific situation, it's not appropriate. So they have to make that judgment call. And we're working more with the faculty to, um, you know, how are you communicating that to students? how are you having these conversations with students? Um, You know, we're encouraging them to model the use of AI in the classroom. So we surveyed the faculty last year, and there was like a contingent that was a little bit more reactive and more um, concerned about the academic integrity. But what what was promising is that people were also like, you know, they recognize that this is going to change higher education, and they also recognize that students can benefit from AI if it's used appropriately. So I think they're just, you know, feeling their way at this point.
2: So from the student's perspective, are you getting anything from them? Are, are they saying anything like we're using it to do this or I mean, besides obvious, the obvious, which is. They're using it to write their papers. You
0: know, it's interesting because I did an experiment with, uh, with my students where, um, you know, I told them to use AI for a specific task, or I told them that they could use AI. They were doing, um, at the end of the semester, they do a compilation. It's it's kind of like a little mini portfolio about, um, you know, different ways that they're going to use technology in their future classrooms and they have to write kind of an introductory statement and the statement is pulled from different like journals and things that they've written throughout the semester. So what I told them was that they could, you know, for this assignment, they should use the previous writing that they did, but then they should also, if they want to, use um, a tool like ChatGPT to help them polish it and make it look good, sound good for this introduction um, because I tell them, you know, you can use this potentially on a job interview or something like that. And the only caveat was that they had to say whether they, um, you know, were using a tool or not and just explain their process very briefly in a couple of sentences. Like, You know i wrote it then i put it in chat gpt to give grammatical corrections Mm. or whatever it may be they just had to describe that and so few of my students took advantage of this Mm. option so it was really interesting and the students who did their their products i thought for the most part were better because it just was a little bit more polished. It's still, you know, I made it very clear to them. It still needs to be your voice. It still needs to be your thoughts, but just, you know, try and give it that polished feel. And so few of them did, I was very surprised um, cause they were, you know, I was saying, go for it. Just tell me you're doing it, but go for it. And they, you know, they don't. So I feel as if the students, you know I think they're using tools like Grammarly Sometimes, but I think they are a little scared Mm. to use the tools. And if they're not told outright that they can, then they're very worried about how it will come up, especially because a lot of the professors are using Turnitin. So they don't, you know, they're worried about getting flagged. Mm. So I get the impression that, you know, unless there's a class that's really embracing it fully, that, you know, unless students are, looking to to do something dishonest, they're they're still a little bit shy at this point to to use the tools too much.
2: So that sounds very similar to what we heard from those, our dear colleagues in Tiffin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, they said something very similar that they asked the students to use AI and they responded in a similar manner as to what you're saying your students have. So I'm curious, it seems like you don't tell them to use it, they use it.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> you tell them to use it, and they're like, uh, no.
1: It's, it's almost like when your teacher in high school starts using the cool terminology, then it becomes no longer cool anymore. I wonder if it's like that, where it's like, okay, you can use this, even though it's like, I don't know, I feel like it's the equivalent, where it's like, well, the, then the the thrill of using it is no longer there. Or if like someone says, you can use your notes on the exam. Well, I'm not going to, I mean, I don't know, it feels like that kind of a thing where it's like, well, it's not nearly as fun to try to sneak in and cheat on my exam. Not that I ever would do that. It's not cool Let me anymore. just say it on the record, I never would have done that.
2: You can't tell your friends afterwards. Yeah, exactly. You can't tell them. <laughs> I use I my use notes.
1: <laughs> yeah, because then it becomes, it's not as cool. I don't know.
0: I don't know. I mean, I'm a student and I've been using it, but I've been using it in in different ways like um one of them is you know when a text is really challenging to understand, then I'll put it in and and have it kind of spit out like an outline of it to help me understand it. Um but in one of my classes, I'm taking some user research classes and just kind of as part of what the content is, I've been messing around with um, using like the premium chat GPT for different things. And, you know, like I'll have it write a song about some content or I'll have it do a cartoon to illustrate some story or whatever. It's interesting to see what it grasps from different content and how it sort of translates Mm -hmm. that into a different medium um but i found that doing those kind of little exercises like i'll take a text i'll read it then i'll be like uh i don't i'm not sure what this means or what the point is of this Mm -hmm. um because you know sometimes it's just like <laughs> yeah. way up high on the vocabulary or something like that or they're just trying too hard whatever it may be but <laughs> or the
2: or the publisher told them they need to make it longer so they could sell it for more money Exactly you got to pad this out Yep
0: I did the cartoon thing and then I remixed it into a uh, PowerPoint so that it would make a little video kind of of this um, thing and I can send you guys that too yeah, but it we'll was it. and then I posted it in a class and I said you know this this was my process I did kind of what I told my students to do that they didn't do Um, mm. I said this was my process but this particular class you know you have to write a report at the end of each week and it's very open in terms of how you do it so I was doing this kind of as um, you know I'm I'm messing around with AI to see what it can do and this is what I ended up with mm and this was my process, and this is what I learned about the content. So I'm kind of using it in that way. Sure, that's cool. But I feel like I'm able to kind of have a different interaction with content because I have this sort of little tool on the side that's letting me interact with it in a different way than just sitting there alone with it, um, which doesn't always result in me understanding what the content means. So that's an area that I'm really interested in exploring with students how they can kind of take ownership of their learning and figure out ways that work for them to build a relationship with some content so that mm. they can take more away from it than they would if they were by themselves which is kind of the opposite of the concern a lot of people have is that students will kind of bypass certain steps in the learning process and just mm. skip over it completely and end up Having everything be very transactional, where you know you have some content and you have an assessment, and you skip over all of the grappling with the content and just spit out something.
1: First off, that sounds like a research topic, so I may have to go into that. I need to abandon what I've already gotten so far.
0: Oh no, you're not.
2: <laughs> it,
0: it, no, you're not allowed to. You're remember. not allowed to do that at <laughs> all. It's,
2: it's too late now. I say no to thee. <laughs> it's interesting you're bringing up a concept. That, you know, I've thought about over the years, and that's the whole issue of being told to do something and then wanting to do something. You know, being told that you needed to learn something, but then wanting to learn. And it changes, it significantly changes, how you go about learning. I know that for me personally, that sounds like that's what's happened to you as well. And you're willing to share those things. You want to share those things with people. You want to say, hey, look what I did with this. Mm-hmm. Look what I learned. And you, it just the curiosity kicks back in. And you use that term that you said, explore a topic. You're like, I don't quite get this. Explain it to me. So I did something similar with a gentleman who came here to campus. And he talked about nonlinear optics for lasers. Not something that I'm, I'm adept at at all. <laughs> so he's talking. He's, he's putting up. Uh, math models for equations that I had no idea what they were. So I started taking pictures of them and I had Chat GPT tell me what they were. And so it started explaining to me uh, what I was actually looking at and using language, you know, I would say, so simplify that into something that an eighth grader, because I think that's as Michael Scott would I'm say, at.
1: explain like I'm five.
2: Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so have it explain it to me. And it's like, Oh, oh oh my goodness, okay, so this is what we're talking about. And it made an area accessible to me that wasn't accessible, right? And so it's curious that students are not... I wonder if they're using it for other things and they're just not telling us, like, they're doing... They have to be. I think I think they have to be. But anyway, it sounds like you are, but your students aren't, that you know of.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the students are doing yeah. i don't i don't think anybody ever actually knows what students <laughs> are doing 100% cuz they have uh, secret lives but unfortunately the class that i normally teach for pre-service teachers this semester there weren't enough students so it won't be taught again until the fall um so i haven't gotten to dive into really Using the tools with them, I'm really excited to do that because I think that will give me some insights and in, into what they're thinking. And I'm teaching students who are going to be teachers, so mm. they have a certain perspective on things. And usually, um, you know, they're good students or students who care about learning um, and care about school a lot. Um, so they're different than maybe students in other areas who. Um, maybe are trying to go into a different field, and they just need the credential, or you know, everybody's got different motivation. So I think the motivation is one thing that can kind of influence how they behave with that. I don't think I don't think it's like all students mm-hmm. act the same.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think it's like well, you were saying it's, it's it's literally extrinsic versus intrinsic motivation, right? Like being told to do something versus the drive and desire to do it. I think that might be part of it as well.
2: And the reason why they're in the program also dictates how they're going to interact in their classes. You know, if it's if they see it as a means to an end, you know, to get a job.
0: Right. Well, that's that whole transactional thing. It's like, am I just going through this step, this step, this step to get, you know, the piece of paper or to get their credential? Or do I actually want to learn information and skills so that I can do whatever well or i know this area or i can be an expert in this
1: so what we like to do is leave our listeners with some homework when throughout this generative ai series what now you mentioned earlier about having uh them try to incorporate it into their everyday lives would that be something or do you're thinking there's something else they need to do for homework to get into the practice of using generative ai
0: um, well, I—that is advice I always give. I definitely think using a tool um, like ChatGPT and trying to complete tasks, especially tasks that are like tedious or difficult, um, is useful. I think another one is just interacting with something, some kind of difficult text or difficult content, and seeing if you can find ways. To make that content more accessible to you, Um, for example, asking it to make, uh, write a song about it, or asking it to create, you know, a comic strip or something like that, and see what kind of results they get from that. Because I have personally found that that's really helped me to understand some content that was, you know, felt very over my head, and then it it distilled it down in a way that I could understand. And then when I went back to the text, I was able to interpret it in a different way than I was before I had kind of that scaffolding in place.
2: That's excellent.
1: I like it. Well, we really do appreciate you spending some time with us today.
0: It's been a pleasure. I always like talking to you guys. Yeah, we
1: we appreciate it. That's going to do it for us on this episode of Transform Your Teaching. Be sure to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform check out our blog at cedarville.edu forward slash focus blog if you have any questions or want to talk to us send us an email at ctlpodcast at cedarville.edu and thanks for listening